0: I think sometimes it's the unexpected or the strange things that maybe grab my attention. I feel there's so much around us, you know, that's very wondrous and exciting and all of that, but we're immune to it because we've seen it all. And I think that's what stories do in general. They're highlighting something that is really there, but we don't notice it or pay attention to it, you know, because it's familiar to us welcome
1: to the habit podcast conversations with writers about writing i'm jonathan rogers your host when summer short was in college she was a science reporter for her campus newspaper she wrote about nanotech tweezers poultry farm pollution and the nighttime habits of spiders and snakes that curiosity about the world around her has served her well in her career as a writer of fiction for young readers her stories about mutant mushrooms and killer komodos seem fantastical, and they are, but they have their roots in the weird realities of actual science. Summer's new book is The Legend of Greyhallow. Kirkus Reviews called it a delightful, engaging, otherworldly adventure sure to charm. This fun read artfully combines our reality with Greyhallows. Fans of the Lord of the Rings and portal fantasies will find much to enjoy. I was very happy to get to sit down and talk with Summer Short. Summer Short, I'm so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast today. And I'm excited about your book you've got coming out, The Legend of Grey Hollow. Did I pronounce that right? Grey Hollow. Grey Hollow.
0: Grey Hallow. Grey Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Uh,
0: and I think we'll
1: be releasing this episode right about the time the book releases. Um, so tell me, what's this book about?
0: So this book is about a girl. uh, Her name is Ainsley, and she's 12. She has a little brother, Tobin. He's 10. And their family has just moved to this small town, Lowry. And it is famously the setting for a blockbuster movie series called The Legend of Grey Hollow. And um, the movies were filmed there years ago. The sets are still in the town. There's a movie festival. And her parents have purchased the home that once belonged to the director of the Grey Hollow movies, who mysteriously disappeared about 10 years ago. They want to turn the um, old house into a movie themed bed and breakfast. And um, so the action kind of gets going from there when the kids uh, stumble into the attic and they find all this old movie equipment they get the movie going and through, a, you know, a few different steps, they end up going into the world of Grey Hollow. Um, and it's a high fantasy movie, you know, so there's gargoyles and wizards and all sorts yeah. of dangerous sorts of things. And um, later on, they do end up unleashing some things into their small town, too, that they have to deal with. So uh-huh. not only do they go into the world. They also bring that world to their small town.
1: Uh huh. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting about the way you tell this story is, you know, the way you've described it. It'll be clear to listeners that it's a it's a portal story where people, you know, the, the kids are going. They have a way of getting into this movie, Um and so one of the things that's really interesting is they'll they'll go into the the movie world and they'll say, oh, "Okay, well, this is the the peasants' feast," and we know that. You know we know nothing bad happens at the peasant feast and so they know what to expect except they're always wrong right uh and so i mean i say they're always wrong uh i, I guess there are certain things they're right about but but um i think that's such an interesting idea that that in when you get flung into narnia you don't really know what to expect you have to figure it out and um and these kids are flung into gray hallow and this oh this is a movie we know very well and Uh, I don't know if you have anything to to say about that, but. um.
0: Yeah. So that was kind of fun to play with because um, I think about like movies that I love, like the Lord of the Rings or, you know, whatever the movie might be. And, you know, we do know those movies well. And then if you, Mm -hmm. if you were there, what would you do? How would you, you know, that certain times are safer than others? Oh, is it, you know, so-and-so and and that'll be great. We'll eat the food and all of that. But um, because of, you know, uh, things have changed in this world. And that's some of the puzzle that they have to find out later of why, you know, nothing is as it should be. And so that was kind of fun to play with of, um, you know, a familiar world, because I think a lot of us, you know, imagine what it'd be like to go into these like stories that we love so much or books that are movies or whatever that you love. And then, how would that actually be? You know, it can't. Yeah. Now that you've entered it, obviously something's changed. And, uh, You know, so it can't be on the yeah. same trajectory. If you consider, if you think about like time travel. Once somebody has, you know, gone back in time, well, that's going to change the future. It's kind of yeah. the same concept of well, now something has entered this movie, and you know, does that mean somebody else entered it before, or what does this mean? Uh-huh. The same as as it originally was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love the you know they love the idea that we're going to go to the peasant feast, and we've seen these movies. We know the peasants are just cheerful and having a good time. But when they show up, the peasants are like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like the, the the peasants are, they kind of act like, well, like maybe small town people do act when strangers yeah. show up. It's kind of like, "What yeah. are you doing here?" And why are you? What do you want from me? And all that kind of stuff. And
0: yeah, so the things that they expect to have you know be really fun and exciting for them end up being a little bit more uh, you know keep them on their toes. They, they yeah. have, uh, whatever plans they've made aren't going to be working out quite as they hoped.
1: Yeah. And one thing I was thinking about as I was reading it is, you know, for one thing they said, Oh, well, we know that this, this, um, peasant feast lasts for several hours, but obviously in a movie it doesn't last several hours. It'll, it'll last a couple of minutes. And so yeah. when you're flung into the movie, suddenly you're also having to live through all the boring stuff and, and yeah. you know, uh, the, um, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this thought but it was just just funny I mean think about all the things that never appear in a movie
0: yeah yeah people, you, yeah, you have, don't
1: see people just casually sneezing in a movie right I mean you're
0: <laughs> yeah yeah because they, they expect to have several hours of thinking that something's you know you know yeah. gonna not happen for and then figuring out the movie timeline versus real time for them yeah, yeah.
1: well I mean I guess all this touches on an idea that that you have you know, mentioned to me before that you're interested in, it's just the idea of sub-creation. This, yeah. You've got stories within stories within stories in your story. Um, and uh, I'd love to hear you talk about about some of those, you know, narrative y things that you had to think through.
0: Yeah. So I had a lot of fun with certain aspects of this story, particularly the creation of the director, because mm-hmm. the director is, Kind of the Wizard of Oz type character for me. He's you know the man behind the curtain uh, who has made these worlds that he loves, and but they also became a horrible mess because of choices that he made uh, for his own like fun and enjoyment that later <laughs> ended up making other people suffer. Uh, and so these are just different things to think about as I especially later on in the book where we see his character again and he's kind of expressing regret over like what a bad creator he was and the fact mm. that, you know, I'm only human, though, so what do you expect from me, you know? <laughs> uh, so it they, they, they was fun to, you know, as a writer, we are creators too, and you think about the different things that we make and all of that, but for, I don't know, yeah, he uh, had so many intricacies, too, in, in not just in the movie world, but in the way he, he made for other people to interact with. Mm-hmm. his creation that he wanted other people to experience it and have um an adventure and things like that but maybe was a bit reckless too. so yeah, I don't know I, I find these concepts often come up in, in things that I write, whether it's with you know this director or in my science fiction books it's been mm-hmm. scientists who have unleashed something that they thought would be good and yeah. uh, ended up not uh, being, um quite what they expected so kind of that that the creator and what these sub creators are are doing and things like that i don't know so
1: yeah um you you've mentioned it before that that the the stories you write uh one thing that keeps coming up is stewardship yeah Um, you know and I, i guess that certainly touches on stewardship this idea of of um Engineers or scientists or whatever making things that then mm-hmm. uh, have unintended consequences. Let's say, Um, and uh, how about you as a how does stewardship relate to what you do?
0: Yeah, What's I think time? you know these themes come out sometimes. Y- you will process what you do too. I don't know that I have necessarily. Um, a clear uh, tie between maybe like the evil scientist and what I do or something, but it is that's almost, hopefully not creating <laughs> fungus or something. But I, I guess it's something that just it, different things that show up in your work you, you wonder, it, it must be yeah. on your mind. And I'm not entirely sure all of my thoughts on it, but um. Yeah, I, I know that I think about you know what we do with you know the time we're given and our talents and yeah. how that affects other people. And I think it's sometimes yeah. writing is just the way you process it, even if I don't have necessarily a clear
1: yeah.
0: uh, understanding of the connection of the two, but it is something I think about. I mean, I definitely think about what I do and how I want to do good and how I yeah. you know hope it impacts others in a positive way. And I'm sure I have worries on the you know other hand. Yeah. Uh, so I I think maybe for people who create things and maybe all of us, we have some of those thoughts that we kind of wrestle with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think unintended consequences is, is such a, um, such a, a rich vein for storytelling. You know, we, we, we all, I mean, we all think of ourselves as the good guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, we're, yeah. that we're trying to do good, good things in the world. Again, I'm, this is us as human beings, you know, not just, as as people who make stuff. Uh but then there are always unintended consequences that that sometimes that's where the real the real story is not in what I thought I was doing but what I ended up doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And and then if thing, you know, and in the characters in the books, you know, then somebody else usually the hero then has to go and grapple with, okay, well this has gone this way, these unexpected consequences uh that you talk about. So, you know, how we grapple with things that aren't always Maybe as we would hope them to be, and you know, what do you yeah. do? What do you do with that? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's yeah, interesting things to think about and consider.
1: Yeah, I guess if it weren't for unintended consequences, there wouldn't really be stories.
0: No, I suppose right. not. Are whatever you, 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 the heroes want, yeah, isn't generally what they're going to get yeah. right off,
1: anyways. Yeah, you've got this. This uh, main character who's a little bit reckless, who's always, you know looking, leaping before she looks and all that kind of stuff. And, and she thinks she knows this is going to be a good experience. And if she were correct, that would be good for her, but it wouldn't be much of a story for us to read. right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Particularly in the legend of very hollow, the main character is very much, she just wants, you know, a thrill a minute and is yeah. you know, all of life is just this big adventure and um, you know, has to then deal with some of the consequences of, of what happens when you don't consider any type of consequence and yeah. then you know, she's got to learn to be a more thoughtful person.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Thankfully, she has a little brother who maybe airs on the other directions. Yeah, <laughs> he's a
0: worry wart. I think a bit of a you know doesn't want to get into anything because it might be dangerous. So yeah. they both kind of have to come around to maybe a, a new place by the yeah.
1: end. I can't remember the. Um, I had an author on early, early on on the podcast, and um, it's Christy Duncan. Um, Christy Dempsey. Sorry, I knew her before she was married and she was Christy Duncan when, when we went to college, but now she's Christy Dempsey. But anyway, she talks about um, some characters are... Um, oh, shoot, now I'm going to get it wrong. So, sweethearts and... Oh, well, I've just launched into something I'm not ready to talk about, obviously. Uh, but she talks about, you know, the sweethearts have to come around and be a little bit more bumptious and the, and the overly bumptious characters have to come around and be a little more... Um, Careful or or yeah. careful. And yeah, I, I saw that um shaping up in the Legend of Grey Hollow. So
0: Yeah, yeah. Um sure. okay.
1: You uh the idea of wonder is important in all of your books. Um yeah. and um I love the way that you sort of pay attention to science uh as a way of getting not not so much in this this book so much. But in your uh mutant mushroom uh, book and in your killer Komodo's uh books, is uh the, you're sort of just kind of digging around for interesting um uh creatures in the world to to wow. inspire stories. I'd love to hear you tell me a little bit more about that or yeah, or tell our listeners a little more about that. Maybe sure. I should. Say.
0: Yeah, so I think sometimes it's the unexpected or the strange things that maybe grab my attention. I feel all of, uh, there's so much around us, you know, that's very wondrous and exciting and all of that, but we're immune to it because we've seen it all so many times. So I think that's sometimes where the, uh, the over the top stuff that's like, Whoa, that really can happen grabs my attention and things because it's not something we're so familiar with. And I think that's what stories do in general. They're highlighting something that is really there, but we don't notice it or pay attention to Mm -hmm. it, you know, because it's familiar to us or, you know, like even if you think about like Jesus's parables or something, just uh, it's highlighting something in a a different way so that you can see it in a different way. So I think for, um, my weird science kind of things, I love nature. I'm a big nature dork. If anyone's like sees my Instagram, it's like mostly like my flowers and like trees and things like that, or like weird bugs that come to my yard. Um, so, when I found out about like the the mutant mushroom book, I watched a fungi documentary with my kids. Um, mm-hmm. And just like really excited about (laughs) nerdy things, it was like what? Like it it seemed almost sinister. Some of the things, like where they seemed like they could make plant. Well, I mean, it's just complicated creation. But um, like the zombie fungus, which is the mutant mushroom takeover premise of these uh, ants that get infected by uh, this fungus that then makes them grow a big stalk out of their head and go and infect the the rest of their colony. And Uh just you know. It just is fascinating the the complexities in the world and they're weird and interesting. And um, I don't know, same thing with the Attack of the Killer Komodos, and you know, I've got extremophiles in there, like tardigrades that can survive being boiled and sent to vacuum of space and you know, <laughs> acidic temperatures and things like that. And it's just cool. It's just cool yeah, right. all different uh ways God has made <laughs> creatures and you know yeah. he made zombie ant- like he allows that you know whatever however it is but it is a real thing that's there and wasps that like lay their eggs inside other creatures you know that's just yeah. a weird bizarre but it is so it's it's a real thing yeah. and it's fun to explore it and you know f- to think about what what it means of these different things that do exist and why they exist some of the, some of the strange things so
1: yeah, no, I, I was, uh, the funny thing about your uh, mutant mushrooms and the killer Komodos is these things that, that seem like you must have made them up turn out to be not made up at all. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And, um, uh, and you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, the parables or or for that matter, the miracles, you know, when when Jesus has turned water, when Jesus turns water into wine, the only thing that's miraculous about that is that he does it really quickly. He's doing that all the time, <laughs> you know, yeah, the rain yeah. falls and it becomes a, a it gets sucked up into the the grapevines and then it becomes wine. And that's just what, yeah, it does every every day. And yeah. uh, the miracle it just kind of highlights what a wild process that is,
0: yeah. I think uh, nature's a great way to see some of those types. I, I think feel that way about like gardening when you go out to your garden and everything's dead in the winter and it just yeah. seems like nothing could come back. Yeah. Uh, it's just, every, and then I'm so surprised. It's like, what, there's life here again, And I know I didn't do it. It's like, I put something into the ground, but I didn't yeah. make it grow. And it's just, to me, it's, I don't know, this, this spring as things were crapping up, I'm like well, so many miracles just every day out in the, the yard is these new things pop up. Yeah. And it's just a great way to, um. Yeah. Experience the, these little micro miracles. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. I. I. Um. I was just talking to somebody to, uh, today about the garden and saying you. You've, when you don't have a garden, you think of it as being very slow and un. Not unre, Sort of not unrewarding, but you don't. You think of it. Gosh, it takes forever for to see anything good happen. But the truth is, once spring comes, there's something interesting to see every day.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. There is. I love um, it.
1: <laughs> and it's yeah, I, I I love having a garden and and uh, and just giving yourself reason to wonder, you know, to experience wonder every day.
0: You know, yeah, yeah, I I think that nature is a really rewarding and inspiring place to, for, for writers to spend time too. You can get a lot of ideas uh, watching a storm roll in or seeing what bugs are doing. They're very strange. And if you think <laughs> about them as a villain, they, they're very good villain characters because a lot of times they're doing something, you are know, like that's really messed up what you're, you're over there doing, a bunch of ants eating another bug or something. I mean, there, there's <laughs> ideas everywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, Do you find that um, you have to convince young readers to be interested in natural wonders?
0: Um, you know, if I just was to talk to maybe my kids or something about like my flower garden, they might be a little more bored. But I I think if you spin it in a certain way, which I, I try to do in my first two books with um, some of the weirder things of nature, I generally find they're they're really receptive to that. You know, mm-hmm. I've been at, at book fairs where, you know, I see kids and I ask them, well, oh, do you like, you know, weird nature kind of facts or what do you, and you know, that's when you get the kid who said, well, do you know sharks have this many teeth? Did you know? <laughs> and you know, a lot of them are really into weird nature, weird uh, kind of wonders out there. So I, I think that kids are predisposed to like that. Now, I think some of the stuff that they feel like they already know everything about, like if you just try to talk to them about Something like the rest of us. If we think we've seen it a hundred times, uh, then you know we're not interested. I think it's kind of the presentation of it, of yeah. letting someone see. Oh, you know, you know, there's more to this than maybe you realized.
1: Yeah. How do you compete with? I mean, as a as a writer of stories for young people, how do you compete with uh, the things that that? I mean, you think about the ways that our attention is monetized, and therefore, you know, there's some people who are very good at capturing our attention through marketing and digital things and um like had that in, have you given some thought to how you get that attention back from people who are
0: yeah, I think, you know a lot of the attention span for adults and kids is kind of shortened a little bit now if you think about like the little short videos everybody watches like whether that's mm-hmm. you know they're all like 15 second long so our, our attention span is getting oh, compressed a bit so
1: when I see a video is you know <laughs> four and a half minutes I'm like four and a half minutes I don't have four and a half minutes have that kind of
0: time and give it to me <laughs> in seven seconds or less yeah so I think there's that element of competition and also, um, you know, all the other stuff uh, online that kind of competes for our attentions. But um, one way I try to get readers into the book, I think if you can get them reading and getting, you know, it's it's once you're into the story, I think you're more likely to stay in the story, you know, because I know once I'm reading, I've read one chapter, then I was like, you want to read the next. But it's that initial getting into the book. So I do try to start my stories quickly. I'm not trying to start with a bunch of backstory or, you know, just a, today was just a regular day, um, yeah. you know. So I'm, I'm trying to understand that there are things that are competing for attention. And so to introduce something that is, you know, ho- hopefully going to... Um, i don't know either something different or at least in that moment of of interest so i, I know that's something we all think about with starting our stories is we're, we're not trying to bore our readers yeah. but uh, so i with genre fiction with science fiction or fantasy maybe have even more room you can play with that there because especially if your story is going to have some um really kind of out there stuff or something that's pretty intriguing how quick can you get there how quick can yeah. your opening line maybe reveal a little bit of that so that they're like whoa there's going to be this in the book okay yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. i love the opening sentence of, of uh gray hallow the streets of downtown lowry bustled with elves sorcerers and even a purple pony was strapped on pegasus wings
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah she's walking through the movie festival so yeah, you know, trying to reveal that this story does have these fantastical elements and reveal it quickly you know
1: yeah Okay, so you are um you're writing for a general market, right? You you don't you don't publish in this the, the Christian the Christian publishers, that's not where you, where you're publishing your books. Um but you're you are interested in conveying the idea, you know, big truths, big transcendent ideas, um sometimes in the form of funny science fiction and you know, sometimes in the form of a portal story going to a, you know, a movie world. Um, tell me about that. I mean, you, you've, you're choosing not to have, you know, you're choosing not to use the language of specifically Christian or theological language, I guess. Um, although you're interested in some of those big ideas and truths. So talk to me about that. How, how do you reconcile those?
0: Yeah, so when I decided I wanted to try to you know, write a novel or write fiction and thought about who I wanted to write for, I um, I wanted to be able to, I, I know just, you know, a lot of people just start getting books, you know, at the library, they're going to the bookstore and uh, I don't know, I guess the idea of being able to communicate to, you know, the 10-year-old who maybe has I don't know, no, no uh, truth, or they're not um, at at all exposed to any of um, uh, Christian thought or things like I don't know, kind of a gateway to to um, some of these different people, and um, I like I know I do like school visits or I do mm-hmm. different things. So there's there's opportunities also beyond like even the books themselves of like think about like agents and editors and just people in the larger publishing world, which is very secular in general. Uh, and I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to be kind of more out and about with, um, a a wide range of people and just to kind of see what God would do. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I've had opportunities to, uh, I don't know, build relationships or people who come to me and ask for advice just because of, you know, of these books that are out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and I don't know what all may come from different things, but I, I just want to be open to reach, you know, different people. Um, and, and as far as things that I put in my book, um I, I think that um whether it's you know through some, you know, I don't do like the C.S. Lewis direct, you know, allegory kind of things, but I think the idea of, you know, heroes who embody things that are what we know is like good and true, you know, that they're not, um, you know, the the uh selflessness and sacrifice. And there's lots of ways that we communicate these things that I I think now are are sometimes heroes are taking on like a lot darker look in Mm -hmm. in a lot of um, books. Mm -hmm. And so I think even just by um, having your like heroes be like truly like heroic is something Uh different, like a lot of, um, books for younger readers are kind of shifting of what's good and what's evil. Mm-hmm. Like some of the, there's even discussion about should there even be like good and evil in these because they're all kind of this gray. And you know what I mean? So even if you just mm-hmm. like you're measuring is like, no, like evil is really going to be evil and like these things mm-hmm. are really good, that that's, um, you know, can be something that stands out even. Yeah. Uh,
1: huh. so. Yeah. And I think also uh, quite apart from what we don't to think of as, you know, morality questions of morality are uh, good and evil what we you know there's also just the fact that that you're attentive to the world god made you know? yeah and um uh i've been talking about this i don't think i've mentioned this on the podcast before, but i'm thinking a lot about the idea that thinking god's thoughts after it whenever you think about a tree you're thinking god's thoughts after him because that tree was an idea before it was a tree you know it, yeah. it was it was god's idea and in christianity i accounts for the world in in much bigger terms even than morality or good and evil. I mean it, it accounts for everything. The 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 universe as God's creation um is the, the fact that you are so attentive and so looking to alert other people to the wonders of a created world um I think that in itself means a lot and is important. Um, yeah. So well, one thing I wanted to mention that I'm excited about for you is you got a great review in Kirkus Reviews. Thank you. Uh, they said it's packed to the gills with fun. Um tell me about that. What was it like to to find out that Kirkus Reviews had had paid attention to your your book?
0: Oh, well, I was happy because I know that sometimes they don't always, they're the one who sometimes authors get snarky reviews from yeah. Kirkus. So um, all three of my books have actually been reviewed favorably by Kirkus. Uh, uh-huh. so that's been a relief and, you know, good news each time my editor will yeah. say- those to me and um they liked the Legend of gray hollow and the, the, the other two as well so that was encouraging and because you never know how other people will interpret your book you
1: sure
0: do what you can on things and your editor likes it and uh, the different people like it and then yeah. so that that's it's always great to get good uh trade reviews from you know like publishers weekly or school library journal or whoever you know reviews your book and, and if they say good things you hope that, that means that other readers will enjoy the book as well. Yeah.
1: Have yeah. you ever gotten any bad reviews?
0: I've not gotten any bad trade reviews before. I think like I've decided I'm not checking my Goodreads anymore, though, just because it's and it, when I get good reviews, I don't think, it, you know, you'll get some like random person who doesn't even have a name on their account who doesn't leave review, but leaves like a bad star rating. And then that will make me unhappier than the amount of happiness I get from somebody who's like, this was the best book I ever read. I love it so much. Like I'm a devoted fan. You know, the happiness I get from that, you know, it doesn't level out with, you know, <laughs> everyone hates me. They all hate me. No name on Goodreads says it. but They didn't say anything. They just left an unfavorable star rating. I don't know why they hate me. So yeah, I'm not- right. I don't know if I'll stick to it, but I've been not looking at my Goodreads anymore. I'm like, Uh I can look at trade reviews. There's a lot fewer trade reviews. You know, I got a good one for Publishers Weekly uh, for The Legend of Grey Hollow. And so I'm just going to try to be content and disciplined to not torment myself with seeing what every, you know, person who may read my book thinks. So,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why it's good for you. Um, Okay. I want to know. I want, to, I want to hear about the writers that make you want to write. Who are the writers that make you want to sit down and do what you do?
0: Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, always Tolkien for you know just the. I mean, I think if you like fantasy, you know, you probably aspire in some some way to um, create this worlds that just live in people's minds. Yeah. So want as far as just the impact of the secondary world um because um all of all of that just lives in my head all the time um and then as as far as like um like writing i I really have enjoyed like katherine patterson just the emotional content Mm -hmm. and like reality of her stories um that's, Have
1: you read her, her, the book of hers that just recently, I don't know if it was re-released or if it was a, if it, if it was an old book that was re-released or if it's a new book, now I'm a little vague. You know what I'm talking about?
0: I think I've heard talk on the Rabbit Room Chinwag about it, but I yeah. don't, can't think of what it is because I, what I've read of her is like her fiction of like Bridge to Terabithia and mm-hmm. the Great Gileadians and so, yeah. but those are stories I love. So I, I'm sure I'd probably yeah, her. Story. You know more recent things too. So, right. I also love people who can do humor well. Um, like I loved the uh, uh, the James Harriet books. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a collector. But as far as what makes me want to write, I think it's like the emotional kind of stories where it feels like characters feel really real. And then you know, I also really like some of the the fantasy and and sci fi where that concept is is really intriguing or the world building is
1: yeah. Do you uh, go? Do you reread Tolkien? Is it, is yeah. When you you yeah. go back to all over and over again.
0: Um, I, you know, I do it on audio book. I've mm-hmm. uh, listened to yeah. I do the audio book again. Um, so that's that's what I've done more. I used to never read reread books when I was younger because I. I think I, my my memory was better or something because I'm like <laughs> I that book too well and I don't want to go back. But the last probably I don't know five or ten years I've started like rereading books a, a, a lot more. And I don't know if it's gonna, like well I can't remember it that well or if it's just the sense of I want to you know be back with the people like you know Pride and Prejudice. It's like well it's time for Pride and Prejudice again. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, you know,
0: reading it or listening to the audiobook. So So um, I'll do a mixture, just kind of depending. But there's certain yeah. books that I like to. The Anne of Green Gables books, the uh, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit. Yeah, uh,
1: Silmarillion. Stuff. Do you read that?
0: No, I do own it though, um, yeah. but now I have not read that one. Um, I don't know. It seems like something I have, I have a 15 year old son, and he really likes world building and like yeah. world building board games. I feel like that's yeah. one he would dig maybe more than me, but maybe. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I I uh, I realized one day I'm never going to read Silmarillion and. <laughs> And then I uh but then I, I got it on audiobook and thought, okay, maybe I can do it this way. And then I got heavy through. And I said, I just can't do this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of like Tom Bombadil. So I feel like he's a bit of world building that just exists in the Lord of the Rings. So I feel like if the Silmarillion is a lot of like characters who aren't like fitting into the bigger I know <sighs> I know a lot of people like Tom Bombadil. My son, yeah. is... Tom Bombadil's awesome. Yeah. He just feels tangential to me, like a, a world building kind of character who doesn't necessarily tie into the bigger story. Yeah. Than, I guess showing, hey, he's not affected by the ring, he's just yeah, transcendent. But I don't know, I he always seems boring to me, so I, feel really I don't understand that.
1: Uh, I, I love Tom Bombadil.
0: You do, I don't know. He just he's always singing, and I'm like,
1: <laughs>
0: they need they have a ring that needs to be dealt with,
1: yeah, okay, I, I understand that, but. Also, he's singing and it's great. Uh, Lovely little song. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Summer. Uh, And I'm so excited uh, for this book to be in the world, The Legend of Grey Hollow. And uh, I hope good things happen. I hope a lot of people read it. Thank you
0: so much. Thank you for having me.
1: This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.